as we just get started this morning, I just, I just want to encourage you. I, I have just been so encouraged through uh, this series that we've been doing through the, the book of Nehemiah, Restoring the Walls of Our Lives. And just so many of you have, have written and have, tell, have told me what the Lord has uh, specifically been doing in your life. Each one of these cards symbolize an individual decision that has said, God, I want you to do something in my heart. I want to make a decision for you. There's over a thousand cards on this wall, a thousand decisions. Let's give the Lord just a hand for that, for what he's been doing in your heart. And um, obviously we didn't build a big enough wall, so we've kind of gone on the other sides here, which is fantastic. And for those of you that maybe missed the beginning of the series, Underneath this wall is actually a broken down wall, and we've rebuilt it with the decisions that we've made for the Lord. And what we've been discussing over the past weeks through the book of Nehemiah is Nehemiah came to Jerusalem and the walls were destroyed, the gates were burned down. And as we've come to understand, the walls were more than just the physical walls to protect them from the physical enemy that was before them and harassing them and oppressing them. But actually, they symbolize a more deeper spiritual thing that was going on. And that was in their hearts. They were far away from God. The walls symbolize God's salvation. The gates symbolize coming into God's presence. Jerusalem was the place, the center, where, where people would come and worship God in the temple. That's where Christ, I mean, it's, it's, it's very, through biblical prophecy, we, we've come to understand that Christ is going to return through the eastern gate, and he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And so this is very spiritual about God saying, this is this place, Jerusalem, this, this is my place. This is where I'm going to rule and reign from. This is where my presence was. This is where people would come to, to worship the Lord. And so with the walls being broken down and the gates being destroyed represented the spiritual lives of Israel, how their lives were broken down and how spiritually they were far away from the Lord and how uh, Nehemiah came from, from exile from the foreign country of Persia to come and, and God just birthed in his heart how, how these things ought not be and how he encouraged the people of God to rebuild the wall in 52 days but more than that, restore the spiritual lives that were broken down. And that, that's my heartbeat for you. We, we cannot be a church unless our spiritual lives are in order. How many know that you can throw a Christian tag on something, a Christian label on something, you can talk and look like a Christian and wear Christian clothes and drive Christian cars and listen to Christian music and watch Christian TV and eat Christian food, right? And, uh, it, but, but, be, but be far away from God. Our hearts aren't there. And my desire for you is, is God laid this on my heart three or four months ago to do this series, was that, Lord, you've got to first start with us. You've got to rebe- rebuild our hearts. And I, I know there's things in our lives that we can easily neglect. And the longer we neglect them, right, the longer we put them underneath the carpet, and we think, well, I'm not going to deal with that now. How many of you know that it's going to come out some way or somehow in another way? And, and, and all of a sudden we think, well, why is these things happening in my life? Why, why are my relationships out of order? Why are my finances out of order? Why, why, why am I callous towards God and the things of God? And when we begin to look deep in our hearts, it's because we've neglected the voice of God and, and changing some things in our lives that need to change. And you know what? It's, it's the small things in our lives that need to change. When we make those small decisions for God, like each one of these cards represent, it's amazing what the Lord begins to do in your life and how he begins to reconstruct your spiritual lives so that you not only have a healthy life, but in turn, what it ultimately does is affects the life of the church. And so when I hear a testimony of someone that comes up to me 
and says to me, Pastor, I just want to tell you something that I'm now starting to pray with my wife. And the way his wife lit up when he said that, that's God. It's a small thing of just praying with his wife. And his wife just lit up and said, yeah, that was really cool when my husband asked to pray. You know, we know that we're supposed to do these things, but when we actually make the conscious effort to do them, it's amazing how God can just sweep into those individual lives and those marriages and begin to change them. Some of you are here today and you just think, my marriage is hopeless, this relationship is, is hopeless. Not for God. Because what happened in, in Jerusalem is the people were discouraged because they looked at the walls and they said, it's just a bunch of rubble. How can we build two miles of walls? We, we can't do it. And Nehemiah comes in and says, you can't do it. But with God's strength, we can do it. And some of you just need to hear that this morning, that God can restore. But what are you trusting? Are you trusting with your physical eyes or are you believing that God is bigger than your situation or your circumstances? Now, I can understand Jerusalem. The law, the walls laid in ruin for 141 years. The people there were, were oppressed by the enemy. They were discouraged, just like you and I can easily get discouraged by our circumstances and our situations. But my God is bigger than those things. Nehemiah realized that God is bigger than the destruction of the walls. God was bigger than the enemy that was harassing them. God was, was bigger than their discouragement. And when we begin to turn to the Lord and ask for his power and his strength and begin to take those small, small steps towards him, it's amazing what God can do in us and through us when a life is availed to his strength. That was, a good, that was a good pause for an amen. Good, you guys are with it. I know it's 830, I'm sorry, I know it's 830. Y'all been working in your gardens, you're all sunburned. I know it, I get it, but, but that was a good spot for an amen. So I wanna, these last two weeks, I, I just, next week we're gonna celebrate. We're just gonna celebrate what, what God has done over the last two months. So we're just gonna have a part, we're just gonna party next week. We're just gonna have a big party and uh, we're gonna celebrate. See, now you guys are amen. And when you hear party, you're like, amen. I'm coming. We're going to party. Um, so we're just going to celebrate what God has done through your... So I want to encourage you, really, really encourage you. If, if God has done something in your heart over these last couple of months, please grab me or, or make sure you email, email Pastor Mike, call the church, whatever, however it means, send carrier pigeons, whatever you want to do, smoke signals. We'll take anything. Uh, tell us what God has been doing in our heart because we really want to celebrate what the Lord has done because I think when you hear it, when one person shares, what's neat about what God does in your heart, you can hear it from me, but you hear me every week, blah, 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 blah. But when you hear it from someone else, like, wow, what they're doing in their heart has encouraged me. And we're here to encourage each other, not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify Christ and to build up the body of Christ. Amen? And so what I want to look at here today as we kind of finish up this series, what's interesting, when the walls eventually got rebuilt, something happened within the life of that community, that things spiritually began to turn around. And what we're going to look at today is how Nehemiah knew that it wasn't, they didn't stop at just the rebuilding of the walls, as great as that was, and what an accomplishment it was in 52 days. They were pumped, they were excited. But what Nehemiah knew, he knew that it couldn't stop here. The word of God had to be proclaimed within their midst if God was truly going to do the completion of the work that he sent Nehemiah to do. And what I want to look at today is the fruit 
that comes forth when we avail ourselves to the Word of God. Something begins to change in our hearts that begins to live out in the way we live our lives. So when God grabs your heart and begins to do a deeper work, there's fruit that comes forth from it. There's tangible things that we can look at. I'm kind of a meat and potatoes kind of guy. I'm a point person. I'm like, okay, give me the bottom line. How is this look practically. I, I like to live practically. How does this look practically? When, when I make that step for God, when I put my card on the wall here, what, 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 what practically should happen in my life? What, what does it look like? So I want to give you some passages here through a couple of chapters in Nehemiah of what practically happened within the, the community uh, of God. Now, there's a, there's a good thing and there's a bad thing. The good thing is God did a great work. The bad thing is, if you read the end of Nehemiah, they didn't keep it up. So what we're going to do is our next series, we're going to go through the book of Philippians, and we're going to look at how do we protect our heart from going back. Amen? How do we protect our church from, from having these bricks become dismantled one by one? Because how many know our flesh can rule sometimes, and we can make these great decisions, we can put up this wonderful wall, we make these decisions, but if we're not careful to protect our hearts, we can go right back to the same way we were living before, right? So we're going to look at how do we protect our heart from infection. And so we're going to spend four weeks in the book of Philippians on how we can take what we've learned here and then apply it to our lives so that we protect ourselves and look at the warning signs that are going to cause us to go back into those some old patterns that, that we no longer want to live in any longer. So we're going to do a real great in-depth study in the book of Philippians. So if you want to jump ahead and start reading for the through the book of Philippians, go ahead, easy read, take your one seating to do it a couple times, and so that will be the next session in a couple, uh, next series in a couple weeks. So let's look into Nehemiah and see what's going on here, and, and what are the, what are the, what's the fruit of, of what God is doing in their heart, and, and practically how uh, does uh, this look? Um, what's going on right now, the walls are built, but there's a problem within uh, within the people of God. And, and the issue that Nehemiah saw, and it just grieved the heart of Nehemiah, is that he saw that many were in debt. And the people actually, many of them were in debt slavery and were not being treated right. Because of, of the oppression of the enemy around them, many people were hugely in debt. People were taking advantage of one another. There were problems within their relationships. And so what Nehemiah did was, is that he gathered all the people together after the wall was completed, and Ezra the priest began to read the word of God to them and what was required of them. Now this was amazing. What began to happen is when the people gathered together and began to hear the word of God, God began to do a tremendous deep work in their hearts. What happened was is Ezra read, the scriptures tell us there in Nehemiah, that Ezra read the scriptures from early morning till midday. The people stood and listened. They were hungry. They said, give us more, give us more. And I know some of you get tired of my 35 to 45 minute preaching. Uh, Ezra stood for five to six hours. They stood listening to the word of God. So we're going to try that today. I'm going to have you stand. No, I'm just... There was this hunger for the word of God. And, and, and so God began to do this tremendously deep work as the word was spoken from the priest. So if you've, if you've got your, your Bible, just go to Nehemiah chapter 6. And if you don't have one, you can 
grab the, the Bible that's in the, in the back of your seat there. And if you don't have a Bible, you can keep that. Don't add it to your collection. But if you don't have a Bible, you're more, those are gifts for you to take. And uh, so Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. And we're going to kind of jump around Nehemiah um, today and look at a couple things from the Scripture. But Nehemiah uh, chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 3 and 6 here. And we're going to see what happened when they began to read the Word of God. And, and, and here's what's recorded for us. It says, And he read it facing the square, Ezra, from the water gate from early morning till midday in the presence of the men and women of those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law, to the scriptures. Verse 6 says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What's amazing here is now God began to do the spiritual work within their heart. When that word began to be read, people began to repent. What they basically were doing here is, is they heard the word of God. They realized that their lives juxtaposed to the word of God were not matching. Right? How many of you, when you read through the Word of God and, and there's a conviction through the Holy Spirit, not condemnation, but a conviction from the Holy Spirit, like, wow, I need to get that right in my life. There's something that's not matching up with what I believe and how I am living. Amen. Amen? Okay. So here we see the people are hearing the Word of God and they realize, wait a minute, our lives are far from what's being read here. And what it did was it cut them to the heart where they began to worship the Lord, they began to bow their heads, and they began to renew the covenant that God made with them. Now, let me relate this to you to a, a marriage covenant, because this can be seen in marriage. You, you make a covenant before God. Marriage can get neglected because we stop talking to each other or, or we take each other f for granted, and then we begin to understand, wait a minute, I made a vow to my wife. I made a covenant. It's not just a, a piece of paper, but it's actually a covenant that I made before God to love my wife for better or for worse. And we begin to look at these things and we begin to understand this commitment that I made. And, and I understand that marriages can become loveless and, and lifeless. And sometimes it's, it's good to revisit why we got married, to renew that original covenant. It's to recommit each other and God. And this is exactly what was happening here. They were recommitting themselves to the covenant that God made to them saying, I will be your God you will be my people if you follow these statutes. And so what, what good would it be to, to have all the walls rebuilt, to have all the gates done, yet have no relationship with God? You see, they needed a, a wake-up call. And, and one of the areas that, that Nehemiah saw that was greatly neglected and, and far away from the standard of God's word is that they were taking advantage of each other. They needed to recommit themselves in the area of giving. They were not giving themselves to the Lord. They weren't giving their, their finances to the Lord. They were actually robbing each other by taking advantage of each other and causing each other to be in, in debt slavery, which was definite a violation of God's word. So as they began to read this, they were like, man, we have gotten so far away from God that we're mistreating each other. And how many know it's that slow, progressive thinking that we have that we move away from God 
And all of a sudden we find ourselves and we're way over here and we're in debt to something. It, it could be financial debt. It could be, uh, it could be some debt of a hobby that we've immersed ourselves in that we've... And really, a hobby or some of those things are not necessarily bad, but all of a sudden we immerse ourselves in it to where we just kind of ignore God, ignore God, ignore God. And all of a sudden we make these little small choice financial decisions and we'll say, well, I'll pay that off next month, I'll pay that off ne- next month, and then we get further and further away until we're in this uh, hole that we feel like we can't get out of. And then we turn around, we ask ourselves, how did I get here? Did you ever ask yourself that? You look yourself in the mirror and you say, how did I get here? Or you, or, you, or you look at your spouse and you're like, how did we get here? What happened? And how many know it's, 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 it's a million different little cuts, right? And then we wonder, where did I get here? And that's exactly what happened to the people of God is the word of God through, through Ezra began to get read. It was like, how did we get here? We need to come back. We need to, to restore our relationship with God. And the way they did that was through their repentance. They said, God, we're sorry. We blew it. And God wasn't there ready to hammer them and strike them down with lightning. But God said, it's got to come from their heart. And so they bowed before the Lord and they recognized that they were away from God. And so they repented, which means they turned away, 180 degree away from what they were doing to say, God, you need to restore our lives again. Now, the interesting thing about repentance is some disciples of John the Baptist asked them, what, what are the signs of repentance? We get that we need to repent before the Lord, but what are the signs? And some of the things that John said were, stop taking advantage of other people. You know, be, begin to change your patterns of what you used to do to have them be in, in line with what God desires you to do. And so what began to happen in the life of Israel is something changed dramatically. And this is what I want to hit on today because there was this fruit of their repentance. And so what, what was one of the things that Nehemiah did was he reestablished, once their hearts were repentant, they heard the word of God, he reestablished the worship of giving. Giving back to God financially supporting the work of God. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 44 is, some of you may read Nehemiah and just skip right over this, but when I read this, I was like, whoa, look what happened. When their hearts were repentant, something happened within the community that literally changed their hearts. The the bonds of, of money and the grip that they had and taking advantage of one another through usury and through uh, uh, debt and slave. You can't pay me back. You're going to be my slave now. This thing was broken. And here's the, here is the result of a heart that was repent before God and line themselves back up with, with God's word. It says uh, in verse 44 in Nehemiah 12, it says, On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather into them the portion required by the law for the priest and the Levites according to the fields of the towns. And look at what it says here. For Judah rejoiced over the priest and the Levites who ministered. 
Now you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, okay, they started to give. They started to bring back into the, the storehouse. I want you to understand something here. Judah began to rejoice over the spiritual covering that God had placed over them. Follow me here. Listen. Here's what's amazing. They turned their hearts from being selfish to now bringing in to the storehouse the place of worship. They began to worship God with their giving again, which they were supposed to do. But what began to happen is when selfishness creeped into their heart, they began to neglect God. They began to neglect their worship. They began to neglect their relationships. They began to use each other, and they weren't giving to the Lord. And so what began to happen is true worship of giving began to be restored within Jerusalem. They began to follow the word of God and say, God, we've neglected you in this area. We're not properly giving to you the way you desire us to give so that the ministry and the temple ministry can be resumed and be all that it is. Because listen, it wasn't just, listen, 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 listen. It wasn't just the priests who ministered before God on behalf of the people. But when the people brought in their tithes and brought in their first fruits into the storehouse, they were ultimately saying, God, you are good and you provided for our needs and they were part of that worship system. That's a good place for an amen again. Okay, so I want you to realize as we dig into this, when God begins to do a deep work, and I know for some of you, when you start talking about finance, you're like, Ethel, hold on to your purse, okay? Harry, hold on to your wallet because here goes the pastor. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you as your pastor. And I believe that that's the reason why Jesus talked about this more than anything else. I believe this is one area that can inhibit your growth in God more than anything else is the way you handle your finances. Because I know, thank you, Ruth. I know that, that the bondage that can occur in our life when we don't understand about worship, listen, it's not, it's not, it, 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 and I know there's been abuse in the church and so on and so forth from shady people. I get that, I get that. But when we look into the word of God, there's something that we have to realize that your giving is directly connected to your worship. And what we see here is their giving was connected to their worship. So when God reestablished the word of God in their heart, the fruit of that was their worship began to change. They began to realize that their finances were not their own, that God blessed them for a reason to be part of the worship of him. And when you begin to realize that, God, you are the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills, that, that, God, you are the one that gives me the increase. When you begin to realize that everything that you have is from the Lord, it changes your attitude and it changes your worship. But when you take that and you, and you hold it to yourself and you say, God, you can't have this part of my life. It would be the same as someone being baptized. And the minute you hold them under the tank, the one thing they hold up is their wallet. And that's what many people do. They want, Jesus, I want every part of you But when I go under the water, I'm just going to hold up my purse, hold up my checkbook, hold up my wallet, because that's the one part that I don't want you touching, right? But when we're baptized, we're baptized into Christ, right? He owns everything now. All my rights are gone. And so my my passion for you, my desire for you 
as, as your pastor is, is to know that God wants to set you free in that area of your life. That when you begin to get a grip that, God, you want to do so much more in my life. And that part of that is my act of giving. And through my worship of giving, that you're going to set me free from the bonds that have so gripped my heart for so many years. I want to see you set free in that area of your life. And here's the fruit of what happens when God sets us free. Something began to happen in Israel. There was a shift from taking advantage to one another to giving to one another. And so if we're going to rebuild the walls of our finances, there has to be a shift, a shift in the way we look at money. Uh, uh, the shift that happened with, with the people of Nehemiah that he ministered to was this. It was a shift from me-centered to God-centered. And, and I heard one pastor say this. He says, you can basically spend your money in five ways. And if you want to boil it all down, it usually comes down to five things. And here are the five things. Number one, you can spend your money. We do that well, don't we? We know how to spend our money. Um, you can repay debt. You can pay taxes. And if you don't, you're going to get in trouble. Uh, number four, you can save your money. And number five, you can give your money. Now, if we were to look at all five of these things, what do, what's the focus on? What, what do they have in common? Number one is me. I spend my money. Number two is me. I've got to get in debt from the money that I didn't have to try to buy the things that I didn't need. And so I got to get out of debt. Number three, you can guess what? That's the government. They got to have their cut and their share. And number four, to save. That's about me. Number five, about giving my money. What I choose to do, that's once again, it's about me. You see, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. You see, the, the, the problem with money is that it revolves around me. See, the problem with money is God is usually the afterthought. You see, we, we ask God for help in the area of our finances, yet everything about our finances revolves around me. It's not like I'm going through puberty there, okay? So... Whatever is left over, I'll give to God. Whatever loose changes in my pocket, I'll, I'll give to God. You see, listen, listen, listen. The problem is not the money. The problem is our attitude towards it. You see, something was wrong in Israel. Nehemiah noticed it. They, they weren't devoted to the right thing. And, and money was, was this thing that corrupted them that corrupted their hearts. They weren't in line with the word of God. And, and what it did was it, it distracted, it whittled down their worship. They couldn't be all that God desired them to be because this was a stronghold. It was first in their mind and they began to take advantage of one another because of that. So it caused their hearts to become corrupted, to become corrupted in the way they dealt with one another. So the question is, how do we change? How do we do this the right way so that we change in this area of our life so that we know that we're following the Lord and we're doing what he wants us to do and that we're, we're, we're putting him first in this area of our life? Let me just say this. This doesn't mean that, that God wants to take away all the fun that you do in your life. Amen. He doesn't want it. That's not, that's not the purpose here. It's all about balance. What's first and foremost in my life. So how do we change? Well, there was a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah, and it was a prophet of God, and his name was Malachi. Actually, the correct 
pronunciation is Malachi because he was the only Italian prophet. Okay, I'm lying, okay? I just like saying it. So you have this Malachi who was the, the prophet of God, the messenger of God, and he, he spoke against the spiritual apathy uh, of God's people. And he was a contemporary during this time. And, and, and through the word of God, through prophecy, Malachi kind of spoke to what was going on in the hearts of the people of God. And he basically narrowed it even to the leadership, speaking directly to the leadership. He kind of nailed what was going on in their spirituality, what they were missing, because they were going through the motions. They were going through the religious motions, the church motions, the Christian thing. But something was very wrong in their hearts in the way they were worshiping God with their giving. So in Malachi 4, let me read to you verses 6 through 12. I'm going to read through the New International Version and, and listen to what the word of God gave through the prophet Malachi and what he charged against the people of God. He said, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? What's the problem? We're doing the worship stuff, right? We're, we're going through the motions. We're coming to church. How do we need to change? What, what are we doing wrong? And here's how God answers them. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. And they ask, well, how do we rob you? And God says this, in the tithes and the offerings, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that you will not have room enough for it. I will uh, prevent pests and devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not, uh, the vines in the field will not cast their, their, their fruit because of this, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So what's the real issue here? The real issue here that Malachi is saying is they were not honoring God. See, the life of repentance in our hearts says, Lord, now I want to honor you in every area of my living. And the one area that they were not honoring God was in the area of their giving. They weren't recognizing that God is first and best in their life. So the real issue here was honoring. And basically, for those of you that don't understand what the tithe is, the tithe basically means 10%. It was 10% of their increase that they were to give to God. It basically was they were to bring it forth to honor God, to say, God, you are first and foremost in my life. I like to call this the principle of the first. They were to worship God in the first day of the week and honor God through the Sabbath. They were to honor God with the first of their increase and to say, God, we honor you because we recognize that you're first and foremost. So it's more than just this duty of saying, okay, I'm going through the duty of going to church on Sunday because I know I'm supposed to do that. I honor God on the first day of the week, so I'm going to do this. Um, I know I'm supposed to give the first of my increase to the Lord, so I'm going to honor God by bringing that in the store, I'm bringing it in the church. I'm going to honor God, but it can become mechanical, can it? I'm just doing it. I don't really feel it. I'm just doing it. The problem with Israel was this. They neglected God there, but the bigger issue was they weren't honoring God. They weren't recognizing that his, he is first and foremost because it was not an act of worship. God desired it to be an act of worship that came from their heart. 
So what they were doing was they were kind of honoring God. And this is what they were doing. They were kind of giving God their sloppy seconds. What they were doing was they weren't giving what they were instructed to to give their best of their flock to the Lord, but they were giving the worst. The lambs with the puffy eyes. The lamb that limped. The one that was useless. They said, well, we'll offer that to the Lord. It was kind of their sloppy seconds. How many of you, you had an older brother or sister? How many of you, like me, you remember the days of the hand-me-downs? I had two sisters. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. They, I didn't get... But how many of you remember that you got the hand-me-down? You lived in those days. How many of you remember the tough-skinned jeans? Do you remember those with the patch in the knee? Can I get a witness out there? Those things were undestructible. They were made out of some material like Kevlar or something that you couldn't even burn because I tried burning them because I was so sick of wearing them after four years because my dad, my mom, okay, we're going to buy them a little bit larger, Barden, so you can grow into them. Those were the worst words ever for a kid. You know why? Because you knew you were going to have them for eight years. And when I was in sixth grade, I said, Dad, can I just have a pair of Levi's? Because everybody's wearing them. Just a pair of Levi's. The overall Levi's, because those are really cool, with the Timberland boots, because that's all I wanted. I just, just to fit into school. That's all I want. Just the overall corduroys. At, you're my age. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The corduroy, over, that was just hip. And Timberland boots. If you're like me, graduated in the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. That's all I wanted. And all of a sudden, it's like you got these indestructible things. How many you know it's just nice when you got something new, right? When you got, it wasn't a hand-me-down. It was something new. You were like, wow. And I remember when I got my first pair. I remember it. When I got my first pair of Levi's at Christmas, you just thought, I think I wore them every day for four months. I just, it was great, you know, because when you went roller skating, you had to look cool. Yeah, if, if you're going to go roller skating in a pair of Levi's, just don't even bother going to the roller rink on Friday night, okay? So those are like, oh, Pastor, you're just dating yourself now. But listen, I, I remember when we went to Guatemala two years ago, and we, we, we you know, people were like, we're going to do shoes for the kids because many of the kids didn't have shoes. and it, it, to, Even to go to school, you had to have new shoes it, to go to school there. So a lot of the kids we noticed the year before didn't have shoes. And so we said, you know, this year what we're going to do is we're going to go to Guatemala, and we're going to give hand out brand new kids in the community brand new shoes. And I remember people coming to me and say, hey, I've got shoes that I can give the kids. I said, no, no, we're not going to give them used shoes. We're going to give them brand spanking new shoes. And you should have seen, for those of you that went, it was just a tear-jerking type of situation. But when those kids got the box, we had them in the box, the shoes, and those kids held the shoes like this, and we had this big line. We, we call it the red carpet. They come and they get their, their shoes, and they would just hold them like this. And they would, some of the kids wouldn't even open the box yet. They would just open it like this, and then we'd say, hey, why don't you try your shoes? No, they wouldn't try them on because they knew that that was the only shoes that they were going to get. And they didn't want to ruin them. And then when you see kids come through the lines with no shoes, and they were so thankful for just one new parachute, I'll me- that memory is absolutely burned in my memory. See, God doesn't want 
your second pair of shoes. He wants the best from you. He wants the first from you. And some of you here, you just, you need God to speak to your heart about how are you worshiping me in this area of giving? Have I resorted to just giving you just something second or just what I feel? Or am I really honoring you? Am I worshiping you? Am I giving you my best? See, God's message to them was return to me and I will return to you. Their giving was symbolic of their worship. The two went hand in hand. They were robbing God. And this is just a great principle to remember. Just remember this, that God is the owner and we are the managers. Remember that everything is God's and it is he who gives you the ability to create wealth. And the principle is simple. Give God your best. Why? Because your giving is part of your worship. And they were to bring, the Israelites were to bring their, their giving into the place of worship, to devote it to God, and to worship in the temple. And so let me give you just an idea as we kind of wrap this up to, to, to reflect what Malachi is saying here. And Matthew reiterates this, and I believe it's very reflective of, of what's going on in, in Malachi. In Matthew 6, 19 and 21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin destroy vermin. Sounds like you're from West Virginia. Don't let those vermins get in there. And where thieves literally do what? Break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. I want you to do something for me this week. Would you, would you do a little homework for me this week? You didn't think you'd get homework today, did you? What I want you to do is I want you to do a little homework. I want you to take your sermon notes. If all you got, some of you may take notes, some of you may not. That's fine. But I just want you to do a little experiment for me this week. And what I want you to do is to take your sermon notes and I want you to just do a, just a list of everything you spend your money on in one week. If you're married, do it with your spouse. Don't get on each other. Just write it. And what I want you to do is at the end of the week, I just, now I notice there's bills and things that, that come due, but I'm just saying just things you spend your money on just if you stop by Starbucks and, and, and get a coffee, just write it down. Stop by Starbucks, got a coffee, cost me $25.32, okay? <laughs> so whatever it is, whatever it is, you bought a pack of gum, write it down. You know, you went on eBay to get something or you, you bought something online, write it down. Just write down every, just in a week, like you normally would, just write it all down and just go over it. Because I think sometimes what we don't realize, I know this is kind of silly in a way and almost dumb, but I think we don't realize sometimes what we spend our money on. And I know if you've got a credit card because you're not spending with cash, it's just easy just, just to whip out the credit card and just spend it, right? And just, and all of a sudden you get the bill and you go, and you have a conniption fit and you have a heart attack and you need to resuscitate yourself and that bill comes in at the end of the month. Just write it down. Because I want you just to get a look at what you're spending your money on. 
And then do this. In a separate category, write what you've given to God and then compare the two. That's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just saying, just so you can get a visual eye of where your spending's going. And for some of you, this is going to be a good way to get a grip on your spending because obviously, you know, if you spend more than you have, that's why we're in the trouble that we are many times, right? So hopefully this will get a grip on your spending and say, wow, I need to really pull back because here's the thing. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free to worship Him. You see, it's really not so much about the amount as it is about your heart. Because Jesus even said that about the widow that came into the temple and she gave all she had in the temple treasury. See, it wasn't about the amount she gave because she gave very little, but it was in comparison to what she had. And what she had was very little and what she gave was very much because she gave with all her heart. So I don't want you to be condemned you know, some of you are like, well, does that mean that I can't do anything? No, I'm not saying you can't do anything in your life or have fun in your life or whatever, but I'm just saying, is there a balance in your life? Because God wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to be in bondage. He wants you to be worshipers of him. And Jesus knew, the reason why Jesus dealt with this so often, many times more than anything else that he dealt with, he dealt with this very often, so think about it, because he knew that you can't serve both. You can't serve both mammon, money, and God because one will rule out over the other. And if we're not submitted to God, it's going to be reflected in the way we give to God. Where's your heart today? Nehemiah knew that the heart of Israel was far away from God. And when, when they repented and they reestablished their worship unto the Lord, it was reflected in the way they gave. So Jesus knows it's a matter of the heart and devotion. And, and the challenge starts by devoting what the Lord has given me unto God. So here's, here's as I just close today and as the worship team comes up, let me, just tell, let me just say this to you today. For some of you that are not giving to the Lord and you're just like, well, pastor, I just don't, you know, yeah, I got a lot of debt, blah, blah, blah. Let me just say this. Start somewhere. Just say, God, here are my finances. I know it's, we're in rough shape, blah, blah, blah. Just start somewhere. I can remember I had a, a Bible that when I was first saved, I had this Bible, it was an NIV Bible that my dad gave me. It had all the tabs on it where you could just flip right to the Bible and it was really cool. And I can remember years later, I think I was in college, um, the Bible was on my shelf and I had other Bibles. And, and I remember flipping through that Bible one time and I found an old Wendy's check receipt that I had. And it was, I think back then I made $3.10 an hour working at Wendy's. And uh, I can remember on the check, I had 10% on it. And I was, did the math and, and what I had to give to the Lord that was like $3. <laughs> I think the check was for $33. And I think I gave $3.30. And I had it right on the check. And I look back, and, and this is what the Lord just revealed to me. 
that I understood something back then that even though it was a small amount, that the check was still from the Lord. That God wanted me to recognize that that small, teeny, tiny check from Wendy's old-fashioned hamburgers was still from God. And he gave me the increase, and he wanted me to worship the Lord. And all of a sudden, it started bringing back memories of when I was 16, 17 years old. I can remember now, I couldn't wait for when the offering bag came by so I could put my $3.30 in the bag because I felt like I was part of the worship. God reminded me of that again. He goes, Barden, are you still that excited? When the, when the offering plate comes by and you give your, your worship unto me, are you still that excited? And I have to admit, I lost some of the excitement because I just do it. It's become habit for me. I don't even, I just give to the Lord. It's just, it's just that's what I do. I, it be, but it's like, wait a minute, I don't even want to do, because then it could become mechanical. And the Lord just kind of reminded me, Barton, don't forget that it's for me. That it's for me. Don't lose your worship here. Honor me. Honor me. Parents, 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 teach that to your children early. Teach it to them. Now, I just look at the tithe as like training wheels. The, 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 the New Testament doesn't mandate. It's just we're supposed to give everything to the Lord. We're supposed to worship Him with our giving. But just, parents, let me encourage you. Teach that to your children, your grandchildren. Say, hey, you got this. Remember, honor the Lord. Let, let's figure out the tent. Let's figure out. Let's start with the number. And, and honor the Lord. Teach that early to give to the Lord. And it will instill something in their heart about what it truly means to worship God in our giving, so that at an early age, money doesn't become a bondage, but it becomes something that I worship God with. Amen? And maybe if we start early, we won't be in the trouble that we are as adults, right? Amen? Praise God. I'm going to ask Pastor Mike to come at this time. He's going to instruct you on your cards. Thank you for being so attentive to God's Word. And, and uh, I'm believing, listen, I just think that when we get this part of our life right, it's going to set a lot of you free. It's going to set a lot of you free. And I believe the blessings that flow from it are not because I'm looking for some financial blessing. I'm looking for spiritual blessings from God so that I can be a better worshiper of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is one of those hard topics I heard two pastors talking among each other on a podcast the other day, and they started talking about why is this so hard? Why is this such a difficult thing to talk about within church? And, and uh, the past, one of the pastors said, um, when you talk about money, for those that aren't Christ followers, you're talking about their God. And think about this, when, me, when pe we hear people bash God or diminish his effect or say, you don't need Jesus, he's not really as big of a deal as all these, our heart breaks, right? And when people start to say, when Christians start to say, or pastors start to say, your money isn't as big as you think it is, sometimes some people go, wait a minute, you can't talk about my God like that. You can't, you can't diminish his effect. Look at all the stuff I've done with my money. Look at how great I am because of all the money I make. And I can't leave this lavish life and have the same me that I am today. And, and I would ask us, I would ask us as a collective people to say, what, how am I viewing my money? That's the first step. How am I viewing my money? Is it controlling me or am, or am I allowing God to control it?
So those are the two big questions we have to ask ourselves. Um, so a couple things just to kind of hone in on as we close this out today. Um, you can grab your card and think through what, what might God be wanting to do. Now, I, I probably, and I, I'm going to say this out, through humility, this will probably be the, the, the um, smallest card collection, right? Because it's the hardest one. We, we're actually we're saying, I'm going to do something with my money. I'm going to do something different with it. I'm going to be challenged to give it away more lavishly. I'm going to be challenged not to spend it so, so crazily. I'm going to do something that God is asking me to do with my money. I might need to begin giving it to the church to say this is my tithe to, to, to the church. And um, obviously this is bigger than just us getting money as a church. That, has, that is like not even where God is. God wants your heart to be a giving heart, generous in everything you do, not just financially, but your time and your care and your resources and your forgiveness. Um, so, um, just, but let's think of some, a couple things. Um, number one, uh, is, one of the things that money can fool us into believing is that it sustains our personal value. You might have to think, you might have to remember your personal values in Jesus. Your money does not create your value system. You're not more important or better or more useful because you're rich. So if we're chasing after money for a value system, there's something in our heart that needs to be adjustment. Jesus is that value system. He said, I died for you. Every nasty, stupid thing that you sinned against me with, I've saved you from. That's your value system. Don't let money steal that from you. Uh, number two, is it, is it developing a false sense of security? Do you think I'll be secure with this money? I'm going to be happy and secure, and I don't have to worry about stuff. Let me tell you something. The more money you have, the more worries it brings with it because you got to manage it and maintain it. Um, number three, um, are you worshiping your money? That's the bottom line. Are you worshiping your money? Has it become your God? Uh, how do you view your money, your gods that you manage or your God that manages you? Next one is, how do you use your money? Do you use it to satisfy your need for stuff? Do you use it to sustain your need for security? Or do you use it to destroy your fear of losing it? Do you try to save and save and save and never give and never give and never give and never give because you are, in, you are full of fear that if you lose it, life ends, life's over. So I'm just going to ask you, maybe one of those things, are you fearful of losing your money? Ask God to redeem you from that. Ask God to make you, um, to get past that and to see God as your biggest thing that you could ever lose. Money, you could, I could lose all my money and live on the street. I'm good with that, but I don't want to lose Jesus. I don't want to lose Jesus. Carrie, I'm sorry. We won't live on the street. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if it ever happened, if I had to choose God or money, I'd live on the street with my God, then be in a lavish home without him, right? So... Um, so whatever you got to write in your car, let's pray. Let's, and then when you're ready to come up and put this up here, let's do it. I would, I would, I would be so excited to see us all do this, but I know that it's a challenging thing. And I know that God is going to have to do a big work in our hearts for some of us to really move us to a new level. If you give lavishly, you're not off the list, by the way. God is continually wants to grow in you, the heart that you have in worship through giving. So even if you are a giver and a tither and everything, ask God, where do I go with it? He's not done with you. If you're still breathing and moving around on this earth, then he is not done with you. So he still wants you to grow even more passionately in that. Um, so let's, let's pray and ask God how he wants us to respond. Heavenly Father, we love you. Help us, God, with everything in us to be able to come to you with this need, to come to you with this urgent request to make us your worshipers through our giving. 
not out of guilt, not because you'll love us more or less, but simply because you loved us first. And it's our genuine response and our love back to you. God, help us remove, remove the fear we have for losing it, remove the false sense of security we have for gaining it so that we can worship you fully and truly and genuinely and authentically, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As these guys lead us in worship, you can stand and sing, bring your cards up. Let's, let's respond to God.
my strength As I pour out my heart These things I remember You are faithful God stand in your presence. God, I, I thank you for every decision that was made today, for every heart here today. Lord, I pray that through these decisions, there would be fruit that would come about. That, Lord, ultimately our worship would be directed towards you. And, and some of the chains that chains that have been held onto our heart, the bondage that's been held onto our heart would begin to break slowly but surely. And the, the confines of money and so on and so forth that is so consumed us would be broken so that we would be free to worship you even in greater and more deeper ways. So I thank you, God. And Lord, I thank you for every heart here, to every family, every marriage, Lord. Just put your hand of protection over them, God, every single person, Lord. We just thank you for this time together just to worship you and to grow and to challenge ourselves, God. Thank you that your word does challenge us because you love us. You don't want us to, for us to remain the same. You want us to grow, and, and that's our heart's desire is to become greater disciples of you, dear Jesus. So challenge us today and, and let this word fall on fertile hearts and soil or that it would grow and produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives. So go with us now, we pray, and we just give you the glory. The ultimate glory always goes to Jesus. And we just love you and praise you. In his wonderful name, we ask these things. Amen, 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 amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. Washes over you. Let faith.